Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And to me, the subject that we're going to begin dealing with this morning over the next several Sundays is a uh, quite sobering subject. I've entitled this section that we're going to look at, begin looking at this morning, all we're going to cover is verses 26 and 27, if we even get them covered. And then we'll come back and we'll continue to look on down through this section, down through verse 31. I've entitled this, The Certain Peril of Apostasy. This will be part one, The Certain Peril of Apostasy. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear that all for whom he came, all for whom he lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law and justice as their substitute surety, all those whom he suffered, bled, and died for at Calvary, all those for whom he rose again uh, by the power of God the Holy Spirit, and ascended to glory and took his place at the right hand of the majesty on high, all of it on the behalf of whom God the Father had given him in the everlasting covenant of grace, every single solitary one of them, and we need to be clear here, every single solitary one of those that he represented will be with him in glory. Absolutely. Look over at John chapter 6. It seems it just, it it staggers me that people who claim to believe sovereign grace, claim to believe the same gospel that we believe, turn around and start trying to put conditions on sinners, saying that if they don't fulfill whatever the condition is that they come up with, whether it's faith or continued obedience or however they define good works or forgiveness or love or compassion, whatever men come up with, for them to place any condition on the sinner is to deny the reality and the truth of salvation exclusively by grace, based on Christ's blood, His righteousness, His obedience. You cannot have it both ways. If it's of works, it's not of grace. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it's grace, there's no works in it, period. And I know men just, they think that's just, no, we got to, listen, we are. And don't, I don't think I've ever said this, and I've, I know I've certainly never implied it. We do want to obey God, don't you? I do want to glorify and honor my Lord with my life. Do I? <laughs> Not on your life. Listen, I have never in my life perfectly forgiven anybody. Have you? I have never had perfect love, not even for my wife who's a believer. One time in my life, perfect love. Now, I love her. And if we go by the standard of love that men consider love, yeah, I've, I've, I've loved that way. But I hadn't loved like Christ loved. Huh? Because I guarantee you, I, I don't care how loudly men or women shout it or talk about it and fuss about it and fight about it. There are conditions on our love and our forgiveness. 
If you don't forgive me, what? I ain't going to forgive you. And if you don't love me, I'm not going to love you. And you can sit there and tell me you don't do that, but the reality is, I tell you what, test it. Let somebody wrong you. And then forget it like our Lord forgot it. Because he put it away. Because see, that's the thing. I can't put it away. If I could forgive you, if I could love you, still wouldn't amount to anything as far as righteousness is concerned. Christ did that. Period. Look, forgot to turn my phone down. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Wait, let me turn this thing. I can't, that's the first time I've done that since I've been up here doing it. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I feel like a... a, a Goofball now. Okay, now it's all turned down. But look here at John chapter 6. This, this, is, this is the thing. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me. How many? All. Now, if he gave him everybody, look at the next phrase. Shall come to me. And him that cometh to me. Now get this right. I, I t this, this destroys all that false doctrine out there and, and heretical thinking and theology that salvation is procured by something the sinner does. It destroys this idea that Christ loved every God loved everybody, and Christ tried, died for everybody. And that he wants everybody to be saved. I, that's the thing that I, the Lord taught me a bunch of years ago, several, th three, at least three decades ago. He taught me this. Whatever God desires and determines to do, he does. He don't want to do anything. We want to do a lot. Conditions change. Right? But he says, all, every, every, everyone that the Father gave... They're going to come to me, and him that cometh to me, every one of them that comes, and all is going to come that the Father gave him. That's where you get into that the, a correct interpretation, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all... God is long-suffering to usward. That's the way he stays. God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, not all men will. Who's, who's he not willing that any should perish? The us word. Not willing that any should perish. But listen, here's the reality. That all of the us word should come to repentance. So I know this. Every elect sinner chosen by God the Father in everlasting covenant of grace, redeemed by Christ in time by his obedience unto death, regenerated and converted by God the Holy Spirit under the preaching of the gospel in time, they will believe, and folks, they will repent. Not repentance, tears, or remorse about, oh, Lord, I got caught with my hand in a cookie jar. Huh? Repent of everything. Not just what is sinful and rebellious, what men count as sinful and rebellious, but even our own righteousness we repent of. Our own faith we repent of. All of it. 
For I came down, look up, going on, verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me. That of all which he had given me. How many? All that the Father gave him. I should lose nothing. So before we ever start talking about apostasy, and we talk about the certain peril of apostasy, we have to be clear on this. Not one of God's elect can lose their salvation. There's no danger of any child of God, any true elect sinner, any vessel of mercy prepared before unto glory, ultimately missing glory. And here's the, here's, here's the crunch. If they can, Christ lied. Because he said here, what's going to happen? Everybody the Father gave me, this is the Father's will. Everybody that God gave me, they're going to be with me, without exception. But Christ also made it very clear that all of his redeemed, all those given to him by the Father, you know what they're going to do? They're going to continue in his word. That's important. They're going to continue in his word. Then said Jesus, listen to this, to those Jews who had believed on him. <laughs> they believed on him. How many friends and family you have believed on him? Huh? Jews believed on him. He says, if you continue in my word, you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth, you hear that? The truth will set you free. Tragically, we know what happened to the vast majority of these Jews that had believed on him. Because you go right on down in chapter 8, verse 44, this same chapter, Christ looked at many of these Jews who had believed on him, and what did he say of them? You are of your father, the devil. And the works that your father did, you're doing the same exact work. Now this word that our Lord Jesus Christ used here, continue, in the original it's the same word that John used when he wrote by the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, his second epistle. You know these verses real well. You ought to. Second John, verses 9 through 11. John wrote this, Whosoever transgresseth, and here's the same word, abideth. Abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, you continue, you rest in, you rely upon, you live and die on. He hath both the Father and the Son. If therefore any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, which doctrine? The doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Christ, His blood, His righteousness, His particular redemption. Receive Him not into your house, neither bid Him Godspeed, for he that biddeth Him Godspeed is a partaker of His evil deeds. 
But here's the thing. In both cases, these words mean the same thing. Whether it's continued or abides, it means this. To remain, not to depart. And I didn't discover this until I was studying for that this this week. To be held or kept. That's what that word means. Whosoever abideth in the is held or kept. You hear that? Because here's, here's the thing. We can't, we can't hold out to the end. We can't keep ourselves for a moment, much less a lifetime. That brings the words that, that Jude wrote in his epistle. He said, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Because what are we always doing? Falling. I might add this. Willfully sinning. Yeah, it kills me, people. They, <laughs> religious people, they get all wound up about that thing. Well, believers might sin, but they won't sin willfully. <laughs> Do I even have to explain or expound on that? Sinners might lie, but they're not liars. Folks, Jude's not at, at odds with Paul. Jude understood, and I guarantee you, the practice of his life was the same as the Apostle Paul's was. He continually cried out, just like we do, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death which is always fallen? He's able to keep you from falling. And listen to this. He's going to do that. He's going to keep me from falling. But praise God, this is the, to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior. You think that He's the God, our Savior? Be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. So I'd say it's pretty clear that no elect sinner can lose their salvation. And it's also clear that every elect sinner, what will they do? They will continue and abide and hold fast to and be kept in the gospel of God's free grace throughout their lifetime. So if that's the case, and it is, we've proved that from the Word of God, not from emotions or sentiment or from something some old dead preacher came up with. This is the Word of God. Huh? This is in agreement with what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, whom He did forelove. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, what? He glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, and he is what he 
predestined, he foreloved us, he predestinated us, he called us, he justified us, he sanctified us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's leg? The answer is an emphatic nobody. Now, since that's the case, what do these words mean that we're going to read here? Turn over back to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 26. I tell you, this, this vo- these, these words have tripped up a many biblical so-called self-professed scholars. Paul writes, or the writer of Hebrews writes, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Let me ask you this. Since you came to believe the gospel, have you committed one willful act of rebellion? Just one. Where you knew that something was wrong and sinful and evil and hated by your God, our God, and you went ahead and did it anyway. Any prejudice, because I tell you what, prejudice is premeditated for the most part. Any prejudice toward any other race, just once, because this this is not a this is not a continual application. He says, if we sin, not sins. Or we are sinning willfully if we sin willfully. It's one specific sin, whatever this sin is. So if it's like this religious world falsely taught us that believers cannot commit willful acts of rebellion, I'm looking and you're, you're, you're being talked to this morning by a man that is going to hell. Because that's what he says. If we sin willfully... There remains no more sacrifice for sin. One thing that we can be sure of. He tells us right here the certain end. The certain end. Of all those who at one time. Gave mental agreement to the gospel. Claimed they believed it. Claimed they loved it. Claimed it was their hope. Claimed that that all the truths applied to them and then left it, rejected it. Turned with bitter hatred upon it. You notice carefully here that whatever this sin is, he says it's willful, it's malicious, and it's, listen, it involves the intellect. It's an intelligent, intelligent, boy, it's hard to get it. It's an intelligent rejection and despising of the gospel of salvation conditioned on our Lord Jesus Christ alone. And folks, tragically, this was happening in Rome, in he- where this he- these Hebrew believers are being written to, because that's what he's warning. There's some done gone. have departed from the faith. And we need to remember, be reminded that, that the first and foremost application of this particular statement made by the writer of Hebrews, pertain to those Jews, those Jews, because this is a Hebrew letter, to Jewish believers, who were once enlightened to the point that you know what they did? They left Judaism. They left the law. And they claimed and identified with Christ 
His blood, His righteousness. I'll tell you what, Peter, James, John, all those apostles that preached the gospel, they were all clear on what saved sinners. They were not preaching free will, uh, conditional, works-based salvation. Not one of them. So they had heard, you hear me? They had heard the truth of the gospel. So it, re- it pertains to them that they had heard about Christ crucified. And then what happened? Persecution arises because of the word. Remember the, remember the parable our Lord told about the sower and the seed? Remember one of the seeds fell on stony ground and what did it do? It sprung up immediately. But then because it had no root, because what had it, it fallen on? It had fallen on stony ground. It had no root. What's to not have the root? We don't have Christ. His accomplished death. We don't have His Holy Spirit. We don't have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because it had no root by and by. Because of persecution. What did they do? They went away. And that's what's happening to a lot of these Hebrew believers. And we use that word believer in quotation mark because they went they were going back to their former religion. You think that they left free grace and went back where? Went back to the law. Went back to a priesthood that they had been told. He'd been told them in this letter what? There's no it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Why are you going back? Because not only is it impossible to do it now, it's always been impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Listen, you could have shed all the blood of every bull and every sheep and every goat on the planet. Couldn't put away one sin. Not one. And folks, here's the thing. These folks not only rejected Christ's person, in his office, in his atonement, but they now actually hated the gospel they once professed. How do we know that? Listen to us. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gifts and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away. To renew them again and to repent it, seeing what is that what happened to happen if for them to be Christ going to have to die again. He's going to have to be crucified. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves. That's important. It's to themselves. Not before God. Christ gave himself to the Father. Remember, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy sins for my own sake. God was satisfying Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world. They crucified themselves the Son of God afresh, and they put him, which you can't do this anyhow, they put him to an open shame. And see, here's the thing. If a man or woman can do that, folks, that's what a true reprobate is. That's one who's truly a reprobate. And listen, there's no possibility of their recovery. How do we know? 1 John chapter 5 verse 16 tells us clearly. Listen to you. 
If any man see his brother sin which is not unto death. Which ones are those? Adultery, murder, lying, stealing, faithlessness, hatefulness, treachery. You see a brother sin a sin not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. But there is a sin that is unto death. Hear this? There is a sin that is unto death. I do not say that you should pray for him. Why? He sinned against the Lord of glory, the Lord of life. Now, I want to be very clear here. This does not apply, like even over in the book of Romans, this does not apply to those who hear and reject the gospel. Like Paul wrote there in, in Romans chapter 10, you know those first four verses? You ought to have them memorized. My heart's desire, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, my kinsman according to the flesh. Is it what? Who's he praying for? He's not praying for people that have departed from the gospel. Who's he praying for? He's praying for the Jews who don't want no part of the gospel at this point in time. They hadn't given mental agreement to it and rejected it. They just rejected outright. And he's praying for them. What do you pray? That they might be saved. For I bear them record. And here's, here's their problem. They're not, they have never claimed, these Jews that he's prayed for, they've never claimed one time they're going to heaven based on Christ's blood and righteousness. What was their claim to fame? Going about to establish their own righteousness. Not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God. And he prayed for them. And folks, it's not a, 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 this doesn't apply to those who, who hear and remain indifferent to the gospel. There's a lot. I've got a, you do too. I've got family members that are totally indifferent to this. It don't matter. They're more concerned about who's the president or how we're going to get prayer back in school or how we're going to get the Ten Commandments back in school, how we're going to get all these, these LGBTQ plus people back in the box, you know, how we're going to get them out of our way. They, 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 those kind of people, they're still in a state of alienation, right, in their minds. And they're separated from God. And folk, they're enemies in their mind by wicked works. They are. But what are we to do? Just write them off. No. Saul of Tarsus was one of those that would have been classified as that. He stood there and held the coats while they killed Stephen. He saw the events of that day when that holy man was killed. And I guarantee you, God uses means the people were praying. They were praying that the Lord would be merciful and be great. Folks, even Stephen said, of, thank God it applied to Paul. Do what? Don't lay this to their charge. Don't hold them accountable for this, Lord. Could that, boy, you, now that's loving somebody, isn't it? They stoning you to death and he like our Lord before him was he praying. Don't charge this to them. There, he knew, he knew them, those Jews were out of their minds. 
They were like the Gadarene demoniac. All of them. We're to pray for them, and what are we to do? We're to use every opportunity that the Lord, by His providence, provides for us to encourage them to do what? Believe and rest in Christ, His blood, and His righteousness. I tell you what, I thank my God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. I only know of one individual in my lifetime that I've dealt with in the 35 years I've been around the gospel that I know has done exactly what we're talking about here. The boy knew, understood, claimed he loved and believed and rested in Christ and his righteousness as his only hope. He came to a dear brother in Christ and professed that same faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then asked him, would you bear it, baptize me? And much like the Ethiopian eunuch that asked Philip, is there any reason it would keep me from being baptized? And he said, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ with all your heart? And the boy said, I believe that Christ is my hope with all my heart. This same guy sent me a text about six months ago and said that what he had formerly believed and what I preach and believe today is of the devil. Said it's devilish and demonic and it's again he he, he even died, not only does he now deny the gospel of God's grace, he denies the entirety of the word of God. He said it's all phony and it's fake. Oh, you can't be recovered from that. And that's what he's teaching here. Unregenerate sinners, folk, they can give mental agreement to the gospel. I gave mental agreement to the gospel. Didn't you? So this reveals what, what, what has to be done when somebody stands up and preaches the gospel. They, they have to preach salvation by blood and Christ's blood and righteousness. And, folk, we need to encourage Men and women to do what? To true godly repentance. Repentance of what? The thing that is so precious to them. What's precious to men? Good works. Morality. Sincerity. Religious profession. Listen, if I had a dime for every religious profession I made and every work that I did, I'd be a rich man but I'd only be rich in this world. I wouldn't be rich toward God. Folks, that's the same. We got, I always think about this. When our, Lord, our Lord was very clear. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that go in thereat. Why? Because everybody's trying to drag all that dadgum baggage in. Christ is the way. He's straight. He's narrow. His blood. His righteousness. First. Foremost. For eternity. All of it. And folks, here's the thing. Those who, every one of them that's given mental agreement to the gospel, I've seen this happen multiple occasions. Those who have just given mental agreement to the gospel, believed a few truths and facts, have not truly repented. Folks, if they, they're going to go back. They'll be like Lot's wife. They'll turn their back on the gospel because, listen, they've never repented of what is fruit unto death. And it's impossible for an unregenerate sinner to repent of their sincerity and their religious obedience. 
won't do it. <laughs> you mean my faith don't count? That's part of the problem. You think your faith counts. You ain't repented. You mean to tell me that my good works don't count for something? That right there shows me what? Which one do you think's most important? It is Christ alone, period. And you listen to me. If there's no true godly repentance, which we've got to be clear here, where does true repentance come from? Like faith, it's a gift of God. There will always, if you have not truly repented, which is part, part and parcel, you get faith and repentance together. Both are the gift of God. If you have not truly repented, turned your back on all your former religion, your dead works, your fruit under death, there is always a possibility, what are you going to do? You're going to fall away. And you're going to reach back over there. Well, I know I'm saved because this change happened in my life. I used to be a liar and I quit lying. I used to go, didn't go to church, and now I go to church. I didn't ever read my Bible. Now I love reading my Bible. Love, a lot of people love reading the Bible. They don't know anything about the truth because it's a closed book to them. The writer Hebrews said this, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, in other words, if they had... They'd have thought back to where they came out of. They might have had the opportunity to have returned. Paul said this to those at Philippi. Forgetting those things which are behind. What things? I, and I, I, I was in studying for the message I'm going to preach to you this morning from Philippians chapter 3. First time I ever really looked truly at this verse. Forgetting those things which are behind. Probably said it, stated it wrong. I'm going to state it right this morning. Forgetting those things which are behind. He talking about his former sin? No. He was already said we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. So that's not the thing he's forgetting. Forgetting about the fact that he was there when Stephen was stoned. Forgetting about the fact that he got a letter from the, the believers, you know, from the, the high priest to go down to Damascus and get every believer and bring them up and put them on trial, put them to death. Is that the things he's trying to forget? What's he forgetting those things which are behind? What are the things behind? Read Philippians chapter 3, I think starts in verse 7, where he gives you the list of those things that are behind. The righteousness which I had was declared by the law. What was I? Blameless. I'm forgetting that. Huh? I'm, I'm, what things were good for me? What did he call it all? Dumb. Lost. Right? Forgetting those things behind? Looking forward to where? That's the problem with most justified saints today. We get our eyes off Christ. We listen to other people. We listen to our own consciences. We listen to the devil. We listen to this world in general. And we start looking inside. We start looking externally for what we've seen ourselves do. The change. And it, it ain't got, pardon the bad, it ain't got nothing to do with any of that. Ever. 
And this is why preachers, true preachers of the gospel, they have to re emphasize repentance from dead works in order to preach the gospel properly. And call on sinners to do what? Repent. This is the way it's stated. Repent and believe the gospel. It says Paul, when he was about to leave Ephesus, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. What did he preach? Repentance toward God. And I tell you, you look it up for yourself. That word that says, because everybody goes, they say, they, repentance toward God and then repentance. They got, they got the cart backwards. That's what that guy told me in that, my bedroom back in the 80s when he had got me to confess that I was a sinner. Before I could accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, he told me, made me write down all them sins, and I filled that legal pad up with everything that I could remember and missed a whole lot of it. He said, now you've got to repent of every single solitary sin. In other words, if you didn't repent, and I didn't pray and ask God to forgive me of every single solitary sin that was on that list, I was going to miss heaven. This is not saying you repent and after you've repented of every wrong that you've done, then you have faith. No, it's repentance toward God. And the word and is even. Not and, even faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what true repentance is. Faith in Christ. Rejection of everything else. A turning. A, that's what repentance is. Repentance is not remorse. That's the way they told us, isn't it? You got, and most of the time, even as a justified saint now of almost 35 years, I'm never sorry enough about my sins to even satisfy myself. Are you, have you, have you ever, I mean, am I supposed to feel better if I cry? I cried over love story. I, I hate to admit that, but I did. I cried at Field of Dreams. There's a bunch of movies that I've watched. <laughs> Farce Gump. I even cried at that when Jenny, Jenny died. Just <laughs> Take the music out. All that. I tell you one I always remember I cried at. I cried like a baby. Now, you still, you, you put on Brian's song, I'll go to crying right now. I would. Because it's just that, ooh, that, that swaying music, you know. It's, it, it affects our emotions. All that, all that stuff we see and take in through our faculties, our eyes, our ears, it affects our sentiment. And this ain't got nothing to do with that. But all that time that I was writing all that stuff down and then confessing all of it, folks, I was denying that what Christ did took away my sin. Look at this next verse, the last part of this verse. I, I, I lied to you. We're not even going to get through verse 26. We're going to quit right here. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. You sin willfully. No more sacrifice for sin. Let that sink in. You can expect no forgiveness because what have you done? If you've sinned willfully against the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood and His righteousness, you have rejected the only perfect satisfaction for sin. They couldn't expect... Look, these Jews, he's right there, they couldn't expect any help from the law. 
Christ had already cried, what? It's finished. And when he cried, it's finished, what happened? The veil was rent in two. The law was no more. It had been set apart and set aside. Why? It had been fulfilled. If we have Christ, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Why? Because he's done it all. They couldn't come back to the gospel because what have they done? They've rejected it. So two things occurred. God's law now curses them and condemns them. And they despise what? The imputed righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. So damned if they do, damned if they don't. They had nothing to plead. Nothing. What? There remains no more. What are you going to do? You going to dig Christ up again? You going to get him to come back from heaven again? Go through the same suffering again and suffer and bleed, bleed and die again? Because you've already rejected him. Turn from him. And folks, I tell you, this is the great, this is, I'll go even further than that. This is the only, this is the unforgivable sin. You know, I preached a message on that, the unpardonable sin. This is the only one that cannot be put away. Unbelief. You reject God's Christ. God's Christ. Not the one that mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa and all them dead world religious leaders told you about. The Christ that God revealed and manifested. The one that was sent into the world to save his people from their sin. The one who through him God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing, not charging their sins to them. Why? He charged them to him. You reject him. Folk, it's the greatest sin that brings the greatest punishment. Those who reject God's one true gospel, they don't believe that. But justified sinners know it to be so. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen people come, seen people go. Don't you pray all the time, Lord, don't let me go. Don't let me leave. Don't, for God's sakes, don't let me ever reject Christ, his blood, and his righteousness. And here's the thing. Those that reject this and deny it, they, they find peace in their life somewhere else, something they feel, something they've done, something other than Christ's righteousness. Folks, that's what I've been trying to tell you all the time I've been your pastor. You got to look for comfort, the only place comfort can be found. In Christ alone. See, here's the thing there's no going back to the Mosaic law. So if one professed that Christ was the Lord their righteousness, and they willfully turned from Christ in the way we've talked about this morning, there's no hope. There's no hope. And we'll stop right there and we'll come back and we'll look at verse 27. Next Sunday, you're dismissed to worship. I appreciate your presence.